Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I am Carrie Ann, and I am so glad that you're tuning in. In this episode, we're going to talk about careers and rethinking your role as employee and your boss's role to that of a client. So um, it's going to be interesting. Um, but before we get into the main topic, I want to give a big shout out to Avrelli for leaving the show a five-star rating and review for the episode Real Talk about race, ethnicity, and nationality with Jennifer Tomlinson. She said she had to tell us she loved the podcast and that the episode was informative, and she hopes we do a part two. There was so much that she said and myself included, did not know. And in these times, especially, it's so needed in our community. Avreli, thank you for listening and being part of the Carry On Friends community. Thank you for rating that episode. And yes, that episode, Real Talk About Race, Ethnicity, and Nationality, was powerful. If you haven't listened, you definitely should give it a listen. I'll include a link in the show notes. And if you have listened, let me know what you think. A part two, what would you want to be in a part two? What questions do you have? I will also include a link to a feedback form to let us know what you think, all right? So drop your feedback, your comments, any follow-up questions you might have from that episode. I want to hear from you. Chris wants to hear from you. Jennifer wants to hear from you. Thank you so much for supporting that episode. All right, so let's get to our segment, Wagwan. Wagwan is where we talk about whatever updates and announcements in the Carry On Friends universe. And for this edition of Wagwan, I'm excited to tell you that we have a new look on the website. Now, this might be stale news for some because you've probably visited the site and noticed there is a facelift. But um, I wanted to wait a little bit to work out, you know, the other little tweaks that may need to fix when you update a website, redo it just to make sure everything is functioning. But it's been up for a little over a month now, and I am excited that we've had a facelift. The old site has been there from 2015. So let me know what you think. There are new sections, read and carry on, where it's a complete section dedicated to books, fiction books, um, by authors of Caribbean heritage. You know, that's my favorite, but also it will include some nonfiction books as well. So make sure you go on the website, check it out. Let me know what you're thinking. And as always, I'm going to leave the link to the feedback form in the show notes. Also a link to check out that episode that we're talking about, real talk about race, ethnicity, and nationality. And that's it for our Wagwan segment. And now let's get to the main interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I am so hype. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped because my guest is none other than the one and only Dallin Vanterpool, representing the British Virgin Islands, but currently in Panama City. What's going on? What's going on? Well, yeah, I'm in Panama. What's going on, Carrie? What's going on, Carry On Friends family? Glad to be here. I'm so excited. What I love about podcasting is being able to make connections. And I can call Dallin a friend, a brethren. Like he's that one who is going to help me keep up with the foolishness. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's going to be like, yes, do it, do it. And I'm like, yes. But on a serious note, we're 
we're here to have a conversation about something that I've talked about on the podcast. Dallin has just written a book. And so, Dallin, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? And I think I already told them where you represent, but just a little bit more about you. Sure, no problem. What's going on, Carry On Friends family? My name is Dallin Vanderpool. I'm originally from the British Virgin Islands, but after living in about five different countries, I've now settled in Panama Panama City. When I say Panama City, I have to specify, like, not like a beach in Florida, like the Spanish one. <laughs> so I'm living life in Spanglish for the past three or four years. I'm working in the private banking, wealth management space. So that's the day job. And then as Carrie Ann mentioned there, a podcaster by night and just recently uh, turned author. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I'm all about uh, financial freedom, trying to get people more financially literate, not necessarily so that you're getting rich just to be rich, but I'm all about trying to get us to the place where we can enjoy a better balance of time, money, and freedom. Because I think if you have any one of those things out of balance, some people have a lot of time, but they don't have any money to do anything. So they're just at home worrying. So if you get any one of those three things out of balance, I think you have a more difficult time. But getting people empowered financially so that they can start living their lives, doing things for their family, and making choices based on what's best, no more so than just what's affordable. So that's my whole, my whole mission in life here, and I'm trying to get it done trying to get everybody skilled up and empowered. We're going to upskill the people them. All right. So let us talk a little bit about the book because um, that's going to be the starting point of our discussion, not necessarily to only promote the book, but you should read it, but things that we truly believe in. So the book is called No Boss, Only Clients. And yeah. you and I believe that our full-time job is our biggest client. And, you know, as a financial person, you know that you want to diversify your client base. Yeah. So when one big client decide that, oh, I no longer need your services, you know, what happens? So let's talk about the book, why you wrote the book and some of the things we feel strongly about, like some of these um, tropes that we see on social media. You know, the one that I always find puzzling is... Quit working on someone else's dream and work on your dream. And I keep saying, but if they quit and you grow your business, you wouldn't want somebody else work on your dream. Like that, the maths don't add up. I'm like a count finger. Like, wait. Exactly. Exactly. So, so talk to me about the book. All right. So before we get into the book, I want to actually talk about the same principle that you're talking about here. People are on social media, especially. I don't know. It feels like it's more so on Instagram, maybe because they can pose better with the pictures with the, the Ferrari that they just rented for three hours. But I digress. <laughs> But people have this thing, a lot of folks have this thing where they're throwing out this idea that the only path to wealth or the faster path to wealth is by quitting your job and don't work for somebody else, don't build somebody else's dream. And I just, like, having worked in, in private banks and being a wealth manager and working with actual rich people, I mean, having helped people buy islands and having helped people, I had one client who was literally there stressing out, trying to decide which castle to buy. So I'm talking about legit rich people. And when I talk to the rich people who are not on Instagram, who actually have like real money, not just photos, they don't think like that. It's not, when I study their stories, a lot of them will give the story and they'll say, look, and I started out building the foundation of this wealth by working in XYZ company. I worked for so-and-so to learn the trade, to learn the game, to understand what's happening. I mean, you take me, for example, I want to understand how people get rich. So I have two choices. I could decide, well, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm just going to go out there and, and Google it. Or I could get a job counting rich people's money and helping them grow it. The best way to understand how rich people get rich is to help rich people get rich. You know what I'm saying? So you sit there, you take notes. I think people are a lot of times discounting the amount of value that you can get 
from being focused and, and working within a bigger organization. Now, I think the problem is this, right? To give the to give the quit your job people a little bit of credit. I think what they're trying to say, I hope what they're trying to say, or a better way to put it, is that you're not necessarily building somebody who's dream. It's about you taking on the mindset of you saying the book, No Boss, Only Clients, that the people who are involved, everybody who's involved, involved in the chain of things that gets you paid, these people are not your boss. These people are your clients. It's like you go and pay Apple for an iPhone. You think Apple thinks that you're their boss? No, you're their client. That's the same way they approach it. So why are you then not approaching your job the same way and saying, okay, if I'm in an organization putting in work, I'm doing all these hours. Hey, I'm not working for them. I'm doing work. There's a difference between doing work and working for somebody. I'm always doing work. I'm not working for you. I'm working for me. Always work for you, right? Carry on friends, family, like always be working for you. You do work for other people, but you're working for you. So when you start treating it as these people are my client, it changes the power dynamic and this is not just a philosophical thing. When, when they start to feel it as well, the company, it changes the power dynamic when they realize that, hey, if they're not treating you right, you can go and find another client. You could quit them and go do something else and get another client. Or even better, you don't have to treat it as some kind of mutually exclusive thing where I'm either working for someone else, I'm doing work for someone else, or I'm an entrepreneur or a freelancer. You can do both at the same time. And this is where we're talking about diversifying your, your, your income. So I can be there doing work for my main client from nine to five. Meanwhile, my book is on Amazon generating revenue, or I can come home and do a voiceover for somebody else and create another five, $600 at night. So you don't have to treat it as this one dimensional thing. You're actually now in that no boss, only clients mindset. You're taking it on and saying, I am in charge. I'm the, I'm the captain of my ship, so to speak, and I can do work for multiple clients and gain multiple streams of income. So that's the kind of philosophy I'm about more so than this, you know, I'm just going to quit my job. I'm, I'm going to jump. Brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. No, it's not. <laughs> Ooh, you know, like when you're in church and they walk up and put the money on the, <laughs> the, 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 the pulpit because you just said a word. PayPal, PayPal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you just said a word. And I think you're right. The flex is mostly on Instagram, but it does happen on Twitter too. Yeah. And, you know, when people ask me about me working full-time doing carry-on friends, I've always explained that, you know, carry-on friends is the sandbox that I can play in and develop skills that I can bring to the nine-to-five. Yeah. And there are experiences that I learn in the nine-to-five that I wouldn't learn with carry-on friends. There's right. certain clients I'm going to come across. There's going to be certain terminologies. I work with managing consultants. So all these frameworks and these fancy things, mm -hmm. they're working with larger corporations. Those are things that I'm not going to necessarily get working in my side hustle or yeah. my other things. And those are skills that I bring to all my endeavors. And so that's how I look at, you know, working a full-time job is to diversify your skill. And so when you are ready or when you're running your business with multiple streams, yeah. you're using the skills that your job gives you. That is why they're your client because yeah. you're learning from them as much as they're taking from you to do the work. Yeah. As, as you even mentioned the skills, I think if we really sit down and stop wallowing in the, oh my gosh, my boss, oh, I hate working here. Like, yo leverage the situation, like get your certifications paid for, get your education stuff paid for, build your network like crazy. I mean, I worked at, I worked at, at big four accounting firms, you know, this is like 10 years ago. And I can still, if I show up in Atlanta tomorrow morning, I can call up the CFO of some major company. I can call up partners and be like, Hey, let's go have a drink. Let's go play golf. Let's have lunch. So build your network and use the access 
that these organizations give you, right? They give you access, as you're saying, to different things, different people, different platforms. Use that so that if or when you do decide to jump out and do your own thing, you have all those tools with you and you're not just going out there trying to start from zero. So you got to leverage these things to build your income and build your network. All right. So, you know, I'm, I was looking in one of our WhatsApp chats and we talked about the idea of romanticizing entrepreneurship. And we're not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, no. but the unfortunate thing about COVID is that we really realize that you have to diversify and have multiple streams of revenue. Right. And entrepreneurship is romanticized. And I had a guess Deborah Sandler, who said it, the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is knowing that people are relying on you to take care of their family. Yeah. And you said something to that effect. What is this mindset about romanticizing entrepreneurship compared to the rich folks that you work for yeah. and how they approach or view entrepreneurship? Yeah. And as you said, this is not a, this is not an anti-entrepreneurship. I'm actually very much, I, I may be more pro-entrepreneurship than it sounds. I come from an entrepreneurial family, always been involved in trying to do things. I mean, literally in in preschool, I got in trouble. I'll tell you this story. I got in trouble because my parents, my parents just bought me a pack of 10 pencils. I've told this story somewhere on one of the podcasts before. They bought me a pack of 10 pencils, sent me to school. And I'm like, I'm at home like, wait a second. If I have 10 pencils, if I break one in half, that means I have two. So technically I have two pencils. I'm good. So I have nine other pencils. So what I did, I took the whole pack and I'm on the playground hustling my pencils like, yo, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you can get this good pencil here. You break it in two. You have two pencils. You break it in three. You got three pencils. So you need to buy one of the... You know, so I'm hustling my pencils until somebody who couldn't afford my price got upset and went and ratted me out. Right? So they talked to the principal. All of a sudden, I'm in the principal's office getting whooped. You know, back in the Caribbean, they, they don't talk to you, right? You're getting your, you know, you're getting your behind cut. My parents... You know, they call my parents up, coming to get me. My mom's upset. Oh, my gosh, why are you causing trouble on the playground? My dad is like, yeah, that's right. When we get in the car, my dad is like, hey, good job, bro. What you need to do yeah. next time is just drop the price a little bit because, you know, you're upsetting the market. So that's the kind of background I come from. So I'm not anti-entrepreneur at all. Uh, but I think, as you said, it's just a matter of realizing, being realistic about this. I mean, yeah. when people, you, you might have your big dreams, like don't become an entrepreneur because you hate your job. That's not enough. Yeah. Right? If you suck as an employee, chances are, <laughs> you know, chances are you're going to be a, a difficult, you have a difficult time being an, an entrepreneur. And more importantly, you're going to have a difficult time empathizing with your employees. Because as we were just talking about in the pre-show, becoming an entrepreneur doesn't disconnect you from the world of employees. Because now you're in a different position, but you have to be able to empathize with them. You have to be able to deal with a bunch of people like you who also hate you or hate the job that you have them on. So. Yes. It behooves you to really understand this dynamic and understand the psychology of how to incentivize people, how to give them, uh, how to create a compelling future for them and give them a reason to value what they're doing and, and do an excellent job at it. So I'm not anti-entrepreneurship, but when you, are, when you step into the world of real entrepreneurs and they realize that, hey, somebody is making decisions about which school to send their child to because of their salary with you and whether they think your company is going to go on. I mean, that's a whole different dynamic than, oh, let me post this picture on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like people are making, people are planning surgeries. What are they going to, you know, do this particular medical procedure based on you? Not a company, you. They believe in you. They believe in your dream and whether you're going to flake on this or not. And when you start thinking about entrepreneurship in that kind of light, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, 
But as you said, it's not always the romanticized version of it that we hear. I mean, entrepreneurship involves, business involves doing a lot of boring stuff. Like, you know, your accounting work, your you can post on Instagram all day, but show me your numbers, man. Like, show me your ROI. Talk to me about your turnover rate. How much does it cost you to generate a lead? Let's talk about that boring stuff that doesn't look cool on Instagram. That's the real part what's of your entrepreneurship. Run rate, you know, what's your run rate? Like, what's your yeah. attrition rate? How many people are quitting your job? Like, what, what's the cost of acquisition for a new, for, for a new client? Like, mm-hmm. what's, what, what's the tax effect if you do this versus that? Should you relocate in a different state? Let, let's talk. You want to talk about entrepreneurship? Let's talk about that kind of real entrepreneurship stuff. Versus like posing on Instagram, doing cool stuff. I mean, that's part of it too, but you know. Yeah, or the loneliness that you you experience as an entrepreneur at times, kind of wrestling with your thoughts. So yes, we are not bashing entrepreneurship like you. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I truly encourage that if people can, you have your full-time job and you explore an alternative opportunity to generate revenue. So we just want to make that clear. We're not bashing it. We're yeah. just, we just want to make sure that, you know, you see the opportunity and it doesn't have to be, you know, what everybody else is doing. It could be something so small. So let's talk about, you know, ways that people can kind of assess. I think with your book, I'm so excited for you. You know, I mean, this is boss stuff, right? Because in no boss, only clients, you will learn to build your career and a thriving business with the right systems to earn your freedom. So, you know, I'm a systems person. Like what kind of systems people need to have in place to earn their freedom? So this is this is something I talk about, but we actually have a whole to prove that I'm not anti entrepreneurship. There's actually a whole section in the book called Get Paid. Right. And it's talking about this is later later on in the book in the latter part of it, talking about getting paid. And a big part of it is this. If you're going to go the route, I mean, this is good for any any business approach, but especially if you're trying to go the route of I'm working a regular job and then I want to add to that with a side business and I want to add to that by augmenting my income. We have limited time. Those of us who have regular regular jobs, right? We have a limited time. You, you, you don't necessarily have all day to do things. So we're trying to get the most out of every hour. So in the book, we talk about this idea of building systems. So for example, if there's something, I have this thing where if there's any task that I have to do Three times, I need to document this. If this, if this is something I'm going to have to do every week or I find myself repetitively have to do this, I have to sit down for a second and try to figure out the most efficient way to do this. And it might be, and a lot of times it involves documenting that process. And you say, well, why are you documenting that process? I mean, document it to the point of click here, then do this, screenshot of that. I'm trying to get it to the point where I could hand this off to somebody. I could hand you a PDF of this procedure and with minimal explanation for me, maybe the first time I explain it, but, but minimal explanation for me, I want you to be able to replicate what I just did. Now, why do you want to do that? Two things. One, it means that I can start delegating some of the tasks that are occupying my time so that I can do other things that may be of higher value or different value. Maybe I'm just better at talking to customers. So why am I here trying to do graphic design? Or why am I uploading this thing or creating this document? It's real life stories as you might hear here, actually. Right, so you can start delegating things and recapturing some of your time so you're spending time on more high-value tasks. The second thing is this. We're all about optimizing your systems here because if you don't document the system, it's very hard to see where things are not going well. Okay, you didn't get the customer. You didn't make the sale. Why? You can't, re- it's, you can't just sit down hypothetically in your head and figure out what part of the system broke down. When you look at big companies, especially companies like Amazon, you're talking about these major logistical companies, FedEx and them, they have major systems. I mean, I've worked on, on companies who have 
you, you think it's the simplest task, move this box from point A to point B. 200 pages of the best way to get this done. Because they want to make sure that anytime there's something that needs to be tweaked, they're tweaking a specific part that's measurable. You know what I mean? So you're trying to get that done. So we talk about that in the book, Building the Systems. And then the other part about building the systems and building the income is that you want to make sure you're doing things that get you the most value uh, without you having to be directly involved all the time. Right? So we can say you want to go out and start a business, but you need to stop back, step back a little bit and think, okay, am I trying to become a, an entrepreneur or am I trying to become a freelancer? And this is the distinction we make in the book. Uh, the best explanation about this that I mentioned in there is Seth, Seth Golden broke this down on his Startup School podcast. And he talks about the difference between being an, an employee, a freelancer, and an entrepreneur. And a lot of folks are thinking they're entrepreneurs, but you're really just a freelancer. And that's not bad, but it, you just need to recognize what it is. An entrepreneur is building a system in such a way that even when they step away from this thing, their system can continue generating money. They could pick up this thing, sell it to somebody else, and it would continue doing what it has to do. Whereas the freelancer is providing services where their direct input is heavily needed. Sometimes they're the only person, right? So if you're building a business and you are always necessary, then you're probably not on the entrepreneurship path, right? You're on a freelancer path. And this is not to knock on you. I mean, I'm a freelancer. When I do voiceover work, if I'm not the one talking on the voiceover, it ain't, it ain't happening. But I'll tell you what, it's making money, right? Yeah. So it's not a problem. So you got to really be, be conscious of, are you taking on a business idea that is something that's going to require all of your time? So usually the transition is you might go from, uh, from employee, then you start doing your freelancer thing. Then you start saying, hmm, how can I bring other people into this so that I'm not the one who is always relied upon to do all the work? And you have that kind of transition. And a lot of times when people try to skip steps and jump from employee to entrepreneur, I mean, you can, depending on the situation, but you might find yourself having a lot easier time if you go into that freelancer phase and then onto the, onto the entrepreneurship phase, because it also gives you the opportunity to really understand your product. And when you understand the product and you understand all the processes and you've documented them, it's easier for you to then pass that on to somebody else when you go into the entrepreneurial phase and you're trying to do things. People can't tell you like, oh, it doesn't work. No, it works. I tried it for three years. I know, like I've, I've been on the, I know what it's like for a customer to tell me no. I'm not telling you to do anything I haven't done. So you become a stronger entrepreneur when you go through the process. So we talk about those things in the book and also not to knock on the, the small wins. I mean, somebody would say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Like, whoa, before you start thinking about building the next Facebook or building the next Amazon, how about you figure out something that can make an extra $500 a week? I would take it. I mean, people say it's small. Like, okay, if I gave you $500 every week, would you tell me no? That's $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. All right. And we talk about making a $100 move every day. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make $100 in cash, right? But are you making that phone call? Are you making that pitch? Are you starting that proposal? Are you sending that thing out? Are you doing some work on your project, right? Because you want to make that $100 move every day. And then next thing you know, you might end up making you know, $500 at some point. So be conscious of that fact. When you're working that nine to five, we might not have the, the, the bandwidth immediately between family and work, kids and church and all the different things to make money constantly, but you can be making money moves constantly. Oh, gosh. It's like, I mean, we're just singing on the same choir, we're just singing baritone, <laughs> and I'm just doing this alto thing. But <laughs> everything that you said, it, it's just really important that it's the really small steps, the incremental steps that we yeah 
are making or taking to move the you know, to move forward. And I think none of these stories, and which is why I'm so excited about, you know, you being on the podcast and the book is that no one's having these conversations. They they feel very lofty and inspirational yeah. and it's not necessarily practical. Yeah. And, you know, doing Breadfruit Media, Caribbean Podcast Director and Carry On Friends, you know, even then I'm like, there's just so many things that people just don't talk about. Right. No one talks about what happens when, you know, you have to ask a client to pay a bill? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. What's going on with that? Or you you have to think through clients that are, I don't want to say a terror, but not nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we've all, I think all of us who've been in business before have dealt with some some situations. I mean, I was, I was looking back, Facebook, you know, Facebook does these memories every now and then. People, yeah. like, y'all remember what Facebook is, right? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So it does, it pops up. Every now and then I happen to find myself on Facebook just checking on things and it pops up these memories. At one point I was running this business where we moved from being musicians and we were actually entertainment brokers, right? So we're on the island. People, Caribbean people here listen to this. So you know what it is, island stuff sometimes. It's not as simple as if you're in the US where you just kind of go on Google or you just call up whoever it is. So we had a situation where people were, people were in the US or wherever they were in the world and they want entertainment services when they land on the island. So you're planning your big wedding, you're planning your big on the island you tr- you can't figure out where do i get a violin player where do i get a dj who's good who's not so we started saying okay look let's build this into an actual entertainment brokerage where somebody could stay online build the website and they could shop from anything from a dj to a band a singer a belly dancer you know albino pygmy whatever they needed for the um for the occasion they could Dallin got you yeah we could get it we would get it sorted and trust me the things i've seen there with some clients man when you get the bridezillas I mean, you run into a client who is telling you, I only want to pay $500 for musicians, but then you're looking at the budget. I'm like, yeah, but you just spent, you know, $4,000 on flowers. Like you want a silent wedding? That's pretty. Or, you know, you have to have those kind of conversations. I've seen wedding planners get cussed out because the sun didn't set at the exact moment when the first kiss was happening. You know, you didn't control the sun properly. So Bridezilla is upset with you. Or, you know, when you have to deal with those kind of things. Or, you know, you, you book a band and, you know, the, the drummer misses the boat. What are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, these are, these are real situations that you have to deal with. And, and those are not always the, the, the most pleasant things that you have to deal with. But these are real business things that you end up having to deal with as, you know, freelancer slash entrepreneur. Listen, I was like laughing, but as they say in Jamaica, you have to take serious thing met joke because what else you're gonna do? Like you're going to be you vent to your other friends, of course. Yeah. But in that moment, what are you gonna do? You know? Um, I wanna circle back to something you said. You've worked with a lot of rich people, you help rich people make money. What are some of those entrepreneurial mindsets that the rich people have that or people need to start adopting? Yeah. So over the years, I've really taken the time. Some of, some of them are just clients and then some actually become friends. You know, they, they sit down and talk with you. Um, so some of the general, the, the high level principles I noticed that they have a different mindset for is that one, they're operating from a different perspective, right? A lot of us operate from a perspective of scarcity where they look at the world with a perspective of abundance, right? They, they, they're thinking to themselves, they don't look at the world and say, oh, I can't do this. They look at themselves and say, what do I need to build in order to make this happen, right? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to call? How do I need to move? And their time horizon for things is often a lot longer. I realize they have, and it's not that they're complacent. They're not complacent at all. They're actually very aggressive, but they think about things as 
okay, how can I make this happen in the next five years, 10 years? They're thinking very, very long term versus, geez, it's Friday night. What am I, how am I going to make this money for the weekend? How am I going to buy this car next year? Whatever it is. They're thinking, if I start this now, even if I'm making a loss for the first two years, is this free cash flow going to turn around within three to seven years? That, that, those are the kind of conversations they're having. So I think a lot of us need to kind of adjust. When, whenever you come in to talk with a real investment broker, they're going to ask you, what's your investment horizon? That's always the conversation. And that's just investment talk for how long are you planning to stay in this? Do you, are you thinking about a five-year kind of thing, a two-year thing, a 10-year thing? Because that, that affects the kinds of investments and the allocation for what you're trying to do. So we really need to start, really need to start adjusting our, our time horizon for a lot of stuff we're trying to do. Why does that matter? Because time in the market matters, right? If you come in and say you want to make $100,000 and you want to do it in a year, uh, that's a very different conversation than if you say, I want to make $100,000 and I want to do it over you know, five to seven years. Because of the impact of compounding, this is another thing that rich people are really focused on, right? And we talk about this in the book, understanding this idea of compounding interest, right? This is how millions and millions of dollars are made. And simple for folks who may not be super financially into this kind of stuff. So compound interest is simply this. You know, you have $100, you earn interest on it, all right? So that's simple interest. You have $100, you make $10 interest, you're good. Compound interest says, we're going to, the next round, we're actually going to earn interest on the interest that you made the first time. So if you earned $10 on that $100 in round one, next time we're going to add that $100 to the 10. So now you're earning interest on $110, right? And you keep on stacking it and stacking it and stacking it. So each time, each go around, you're earning interest on a little bit more. And this is kind of the principle that a lot of rich people are using to get their money up a lot faster. Now, the, the thing about this is that you have to have patience, right? It's a slow build, but once the momentum gets going, you know, you're, you're making money a lot faster. I mean, I see folks who come in and their question isn't, what can I invest in to make $100,000? They, they, they come in and they say, I just had a child. The child is two years old. What is the rate that I need to be earning and how much money do I need to put in an account or a portfolio so that the compound interest reaches to $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, whatever the amount I'm projecting is the cost of a university degree in 18 years, right? How much money do I, start need to put, do I need to start putting in now so that it compounds to that amount? They're not saying, oh my gosh, college is expensive. How am I going to find the money? Eh, don't worry about that. They're saying, how, do I need to put in $100 a month? Do I need to start putting in you know, $200 a month so that in 18 years it stacks up to that amount? So they're not looking at it as they need to find $200,000. They don't need to find $200,000. They need to find the lower amount, right, that's going to grow to that $200,000. So that's how they're approaching things. And the last piece I'll throw out there is that as much as they're financially minded, they don't mind having fun. Like I have clients who have, you know, they'll, they'll have their cars and their house and this and the kind of stuff. They're being very financially responsible and run the business. But then, you know, they go out and they buy a Suzuki Jimny because it's fun. They go out and buy like a Jeep Wrangler or some, I had one client who's just into like classic cars. They don't mind spending money on things that don't necessarily make money. But the difference is this. They're not taking that cash from their savings or money that they plan to invest. They try to generate, they try to get some assets that will generate cash flow to buy their toys. You see what I mean? They're not taking toy. Toy money doesn't come from your investment money. Toy money doesn't come from your savings money and your actual pay your bills money, right? You're getting your toy, your buy my toys money from assets that are generating that cash flow. So that's kind of the mindset we need to start thinking about. So the question isn't how much is that car? 
or how am I going to buy that car? The question is, what value can I create for the market? What assets can I acquire that in X amount of years will generate money for me to buy that cool thing, right? To buy that, to afford that vacation. So they, they don't go straight to the cost. They go to the asset side of it first and let that grow into whatever they need it to be. Dallin, I just should just let you talk. I don't have <laughs> nothing to say. I mean, can you believe it? Auntie Carrie's speechless. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if people want the details and all this stuff, go get the book, right? No boss on your clients. Yes, yes, just get the book. But something that you said in here is a theme or something I love to say. It's a long game. Yeah. And social media doesn't, it doesn't foster a feeling of being patient. You're impatient. You want it. You right want that gratification now, now. Right now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we talk about this. People ask me all the time. I had carry on friends as a platform over seven years ago. Yeah. And people are just knowing it in the last couple of years. But when I built it back then, it was with the intention that it is not for now. It is for when people are ready. Right. I've I've recently had people question, you know, why is Breadfruit Media, you know, prioritizing Caribbean people wanting to produce podcasts and Culturally, I know we may not be at the level of maturity as America is in podcasts, but I know we'll get there. It's the long game. And so if you're looking for instant gratification, a lot of times entrepreneurship isn't for you. You're going to be like some people who I've had some people who email me because they're in one business. And in another couple months, I get another email. They they switch to another business. And then in another couple months, they switch to another business. And to us, you know. I don't know anybody who I like that much that any business they switch to, I'm following behind them. Right. Because to me, it looks like mm, they can't even, you know, it's busy, but it's disingenuous. It's a hustle. It really is a hustle as opposed to a solid business. So as we wrap up, what's the final takeaway other than go get the book, right? <laughs> what's the final takeaway when it comes to, you know, your career and exploring because let's consider that there are other people here who maybe this is the first time that they're thinking about getting a side hustle or maybe they think like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I've heard about it. I've thought about it, but I don't know what skills I can create or value I can create and sell that. So what would you say to people who haven't thought about it or are stuck thinking about what they can do? Listen, if, if you're stuck in a career and, and I'm coming I'm coming from this perspective, not as somebody who has everything figured out, like I've gone through the phases. I know what it's like to sit in a job and hate your life. I know what it is like to Wake up on a Monday morning and lie there on bed, looking up at the, in bed, looking up at the ceiling. Like, are you serious? Are we doing this yeah. again? Uh, I know what it's like to work long hours. I mean, when I quit one of my first jobs when I was working in in corporate America, we had a minimum fifty five hours you had to work a week. That that was the minimum. What you're really working is like sixty or seventy, and then you can't really bill all those hours because you're gonna blow the budget. So you're working seventy, but you're putting in sixty, and then the week you hit fifty four hours, like people are calling you into a meeting, like, hey. What's up with that? Why are you only working 54 hours? And you're like, well, I worked 83,000 hours last week. Can we like carry the one and just be cool about this? <laughs> like, trust me, I, I, know, I know the feeling, right? And this is what I would say about that kind of stuff. As much as you think you hate your job or you hate the situation you're in, you hate the, 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 the financial situation you're in, I would say two things. One, I'm not going to come here and tell you to just be cool about it and be patient. I'm like, no, lean into that hate. Maybe you don't hate your job enough. Right? If you hated the job enough, if you hated the situation enough, you would be pushed, you'd be prodded enough to actually take action and change the situation rather than just sitting around complaining about it. Right? So I would say lean into that discomfort. Right? 
lean into that discomfort. And two, be very specific about what that discomfort is. Is it that you hate your job or you hate that you don't, you're not being compensated well enough for it, right? It, be, be very specific about what it is. You, do, you hate your, you, do you really hate your boss? Or do you hate the fact that you're in an organization, you're in a situation where it seems like you're going to have to wait for somebody to die for you to make progress? Because, if, okay, so now, okay, so progress is a situation. All right. So if progress is a situation, this is not about your boss because we can find another client to get you the progress you need. Lean into the discomfort and be very specific about the source of that discomfort. And then the last piece is this. Take the limits off your mind about what you can accomplish, right? The people who are doing the biggest things out there, the people who are making things happen, they were able to look at the landscape of life from a perspective of abundance and say, if I can get enough people out there what they want, if I can create enough value, money changes hands when problems are solved. So figure out what the problem is out there that you want to solve, how you can uniquely solve it, and how much people will be willing to pay for that solution and then start working your plan. You can do amazing things and you don't necessarily have to quit your job to start doing it. You might quit eventually, right? Yeah. You might get there, but you don't have to quit your job to, you, tomorrow to start doing big things. You can have no boss and only clients. All right. Well, there you have it. So tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm on the internet. So main home base for all the stuff, dallanvantipool.com or dallanv.com. That'll get you there on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, just at Dallan Vanderpool. That's D-A-L-V-A-N. Can't spell my own name. Too hype, too hype, too hype, too hype. D-A-L-A-N-V-A-N-T-E-R-P-O-O-L. That'll be in the show notes. But look me up online. And then if you're trying to get the book, of course, you can find that on Amazon.com. We got the Kindle and we got the print version out and the audio should be coming through soon. But if you head over to DallanV.com slash book, that'll get you there as well. So I look forward to connecting with all my Caribbean people from the Carry On Friends family so we can make this happen. Dallan, thank you so much. I'm so excited when my family come to and ting and ting and ting. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me, Carrie. You're welcome, welcome. And as I love to say at the end of the show, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com or find us on all social media platforms at carryonfriends.